Hello and welcome to the Decorum Talking newspaper for the week ending Saturday the 9th of September. This is David and your other readers are Susan, Cherry and Catherine. The editor this week is Mark. All are members of Team Phi. Most of our news items are taken from the Hemel Hempstead, Berkhamstead and Tring Gazette and Express newspaper. All telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442, unless stated otherwise. This week's headlines. Council slammed over Ulez signs. Violent attack. And doggy splash sessions return. These and other stories now follow. Here is the news. Hello, this is Susan. Opposition politicians have slammed Hertfordshire County Council's decision to ban ULES signs from going up around the county. From August the 29th, the ultra-low emission zone in London has been expanded to outer boroughs of London, which border the three counties and other surrounding areas. The Conservative-controlled council in Hertfordshire contacted the Mayor of London with its concerns about the scheme. Last week, the council went a step further by refusing to display signs on Hertfordshire roads, warning residents they are heading towards zones where drivers using non-compliant cars would have to pay a charge. Hertfordshire's Liberal Democrats have criticised the call, saying it will only increase the chances of Hart's residents in older cars inadvertently entering Euler's zones and subsequently having to pay a charge or a fine. Liberal Democrat councillor Steve Jarvis said, Refusing to allow ULES signs in Hertfordshire is not going to stop the scheme going ahead. What it will do is make it more difficult for Hart's residents who have non-compliant cars and vans to know exactly where the ULES starts and to avoid entering if they don't need to. The Conservative leader says he doesn't agree with the charge, but his petty refusal to allow signs can only result in more Hearts residents paying the charge or being fined for failing to do so. That might suit his political purposes, but it won't help the people affected. Hertfordshire County Council leader, Councillor Richard Roberts, announced the decision to remove all ULES warning signs in an open letter sent to the Mayor of London. The council leader also suggested that Mayor Sadiq Khan should extend the scrappage scheme that allows London residents to access up to £2,000 to replace non-compliant cars to surrounding counties. Councillor Roberts said, In Hertfordshire, many residents, families and businesses are telling us that they're dealing with the tightest squeeze on their finances in over a generation. The simple fact of the matter is that at this time, many people with non-compliant vehicles, often the lowest paid in society, cannot afford to upgrade their cars and are not eligible for the scrappage scheme and have no viable public transport alternatives. Councillor Roberts wanted the Mayor to pause his plans rather than pushing ahead with the scheme, which will see people who enter the zones with older vehicles paying £12.50 per day. People who do not pay the daily charge could be fined up to £180. 
Vehicles are measured against the required Euro standard and motorists can check whether their vehicles are compliant or not on the Transport for London website. Hello, this is Cherry. Council officials are being urged to complete surveys on up to 100 school buildings in Hertfordshire with maximum urgency amid mounting concerns around the safety of a concrete that can be prone to collapse. The surveys will identify whether or not reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, or rack, was used in the construction of the schools and they come after government officials said that any school or college known to have the material should close the rooms or buildings affected unless mitigations are in place. Rack is a lightweight concrete material known to be used in the construction of schools and other public buildings between the 1950s and 1990s. It is a cheaper alternative to standard concrete, is quicker to produce, and easier to install, but it is less durable and has a lifespan of around 30 years. Previous surveys for RAC by the County Council focused on schools built between 1959 and 1989, but the latest surveys on the direction of the Department for Education will focus on schools built between 1950 and 1958, and between 1990 and 1995. County Council offices have already started to contact schools that have been earmarked for survey, and on-site surveys by specialist contractors are expected to begin within two weeks. Initially, it was thought 120 Hertfordshire schools would need to be surveyed in line with government guidance but it is understood that revised estimates now suggest that, will be fewer, that it will be fewer. Liberal Democrat spokesperson for education, Councillor Mark Watkins, stresses that the surveys should be conducted with maximum urgency. And he said, I think urgency is now critical to get these surveys done, and one can only hope that based on previous surveys, the results will not be too disruptive. Meanwhile, Councillor Nigel Bell, leader of the Council's Labour Group, said that this was an urgent issue with a need for the surveys to be completed as quickly as possible. And he said that the Council should now publish a list of schools in Hertfordshire where these surveys will be undertaken. Parents are going to be feeling really worried and parents have enough to worry about when their children are starting a new school, said Councillor Bell who raised the issue with council officers in June. They need reassurance that Hertfordshire County Council officers are getting on to this quickly. I think the council should get on with the survey as quickly as possible. Officers from the county council are already contacting the schools that need the surveys and will be encouraging them to update parents directly. Hello, I'm Catherine, and continuing on that piece, if a survey finds rack within a school building, that area of the school would need to be closed until remediation work had taken place or mitigation, such as temporary supports, are put in place. Previous surveys of 279 Hertfordshire schools identified three with rack, 
that were in need of remedial work. And according to the council, that remedial work was completed last year in 2022. Academies and voluntary aided schools will be responsible for their own surveys and any subsequent remedial work. But council officials say they will work with the DfE to support them as necessary. In an updated statement issued on Friday afternoon, a spokesperson for Hertfordshire County Council said that there was no reason to believe any other of the council's school buildings contain rack. It states, Hertfordshire County Council is not aware of any Hertfordshire schools needing to close as a result of the direction from the DOV, Department for Education. Between 2020 and 2021, we carried out surveys on 279 local authority maintained schools that had buildings constructed between 1959 and 1989, the risk period initially identified by the DfE. This identified three schools that needed remediation works and those works were completed in 2022. While we have no reason to believe that any other school buildings contain RAC, as a precaution we will now also be carrying out surveys on schools with buildings built in the 1950s and early 90s which are at lower risk. We are encouraging parents to contact their school directly if they have any concerns. Officials from the Department for Education issued the latest guidance on Thursday, August 31st, just days before the start of the autumn term. They say they were taking the precautionary and proactive step following careful analysis on new cases. In response to the timing of the government's announcement, Liberal Democrat Councillor Watkin told the Local Democracy Reporting Service, I'm absolutely appalled that it's so late in the day that this news has broken and disrupted the lives and schools and families and children. Why did they wait until the end of the summer holidays when it could have been done six or eight weeks ago? And Councillor Bell said that there were questions to be asked about the terrible timing of the government's announcement coming just days before the start of the new autumn term. Grocery price inflation slowed down at the second fastest rate since records began over the past month. But shoppers still face higher prices across every supermarket shelf, figures show. Analysts at Cantar reported price inflation across grocery shops at 12.7% for the four weeks to August the 6th, dropping from 14.9% over the previous month. It is the fifth consecutive decline in the rate of price rises since the figure peaked at 17.5% in March. The latest drop comes as supermarkets have pulled down the price of some staples such as milk, since earlier in the year. Fraser McKevitt, head of retail and consumer insight at Cantar, said, the latest slowdown in price rises is the second sharpest monthly fall since we started monitoring grocery inflation in this way back in 2008. Prices are still up year on year across every supermarket shelf, but consumers will have been relieved to see the cost of some staple goods starting to edge down compared with earlier in 2023. Shoppers paid £1.50 for four pints of milk last month, down from £1.69 in March, while the average cost of a litre of sunflower oil is now £2.19, 22 pence less than in the spring. 
The data, based on the shopping habits of 30,000 households across the UK, also showed strong demand for own label products from cash-conscious customers, with sales up by 9.7% for the quarter. Overall take-home grocery sales increased by 6.5% over the month, Kantar said, slipping from 10.4% growth last month. The experts said recent wet weather saw shoppers turn away from traditional summer favourites, while soup sales grew 16% as people looked for warming meals. McEvitt added, it was a better month for Barbie than barbecues this July, as the rain put a spanner in the works for many consumers' outdoor plans. A stark comparison to last year, when we experienced the hottest day on record. Volume sales of ice cream were down by 30%, while soft drink sales were nearly a fifth lower than 12 months ago. The fresh data also shows that sales at Tesco and Sainsbury's grew strongly over the month, rising by 9.5% and 9.3% respectively. Aldi was the fastest growing retailer for the fourth month in a row, with its sales jumping by over a fifth year on year. Meanwhile, as children gear up to get back to school in September, which has revealed which supermarket is the cheapest to buy a new school uniform? The consumer champion analysed prices of a selection of essential nine-year-old sized school uniform items at eight popular supermarkets, including Sainsbury's and Tesco, and clothing retailers, including John Lewis and Matalan, which found that many school uniform items are sold in multi-packs of two, three, four and five pieces, but although this might provide good value, it's not always necessary to buy so many sets. Which said parents should think about how many items their kids will really need, as well as working out the price per item in a multi-pack to see if they really will actually save by buying in bulk. Which also issued a reminder that some parents will be eligible for a school uniform grant worth £200, depending on their income and where they live. The grants are typically available for people receiving benefits, such as universal credit and child tax credit, but they may also be eligible if their child receives free school meals. Ellie Clark, which retail editor, said, School uniforms don't come cheap, especially if you have to buy them for more than one child. Household budgets have been battered by the unrelenting cost of living crisis but our latest research shows some retailers will help your money go further than others when you're buying school uniform for the kids. Parents and guardians can also save money by buying second-hand, opting for multi-packs, choosing longer-lasting options such as trousers with a hem that can be let down, and, of course, keeping an eye out for special offers. Doggy splash sessions return. A, le a leisure facility in Decorum is welcoming pooches to join doggy splash sessions at its outdoor pool on Saturday and Sunday, September the 23rd and 24th. Following its huge success last year, the unique sessions will again be hosted at Hemel Hempstead Leisure Centre, run by Everyone Active in partnership 
with Decorum Borough Council. The 90-minute sessions are available for £15, one dog and one owner, with additional humans for £9 each. Four sessions will be hosted throughout each day at 10am, 12pm, 2pm and 4pm. The bookings went live on Monday, September the 4th. Customers will need to book in advance and can do so by calling reception on 01442 507 100. David Tenney, General Manager at Everyone Active, said, It's a real pleasure to be able to welcome so many of our local canine friends to enjoy the outdoor pool at our centre. We're a family-friendly local community centre and we know dogs are considered family members too. So we're delighted to be able to give them the opportunity to enjoy the pool again this year. Last year's event saw a really strong uptake and we're expecting this year's to also be a sellout. So we're encouraging interested customers to book in advance. The area surrounding the poolside will be thoroughly disinfected and the pool will be filtered and cleaned as normal, following health and safety guidelines following the event. The outdoor pool will then be closed for the season. Hertfordshire Constabulary has released the findings from its consultations with residents. Conversations between residents and members of the Force's Safer Neighbourhood Teams, SNT, have helped identify actions the police can take to improve the lives of people in decorum. The following issues have been raised by residents. In Berkhamsted and Tring, reduced incidents of antisocial behaviour in Pheasant Close and Dorset Close in Berkhamsted and Station Road in Tring. Hemel Hempstead North, Rural, West and Central Tackle nuisance and antisocial driving in Gadebridge Park. Tackle antisocial behaviour within Hemel Hempstead Town Centre. In Hemel Hempstead East, tackle antisocial driving in the People Building Estate on Maylands Avenue. Reports of cars drifting in the unused car parks causing damage and noise nuisance to local residents. Tackle antisocial behaviour in the Swallowfields estate and surrounding areas, including Ringlet Road, Admiral Avenue, Peacock Court and Three Cherries Tree Lanes. Tackle youth-related antisocial behaviour in Henry Wells Square, which is affecting residents and local businesses. In Hemel South and Kings Langley, tackle antisocial behaviour at Bennett's End Shops, including the Coronation Field area. Tackle antisocial behaviour, nuisance motorbike riding and drug use at Apsley Marina. Neighbourhood Inspector Jeff Scott said, These are local priorities suggested by, directly by the community, but officers will still be out and about responding to any other issues and concerns as usual, supported by response teams and specialist units. More drivers in decorum are switching to low-emission vehicles, new figures show. But the RAC said the high upfront cost of electric vehicles, the most popular low-emission vehicles, are still putting many people off buying them, despite their lower running costs. New figures from the DVLA show that there were 10,000 
440 low emission vehicles registered in decorum as of March 2023, up from 7,432 the year before and 1,692 in 2018. The number is around 10% of vehicles in the district that are officially classified as low emission. Designed to emit less than 75% of carbon dioxide from the tailpipe for every kilometre travelled, they include battery electric, plug-in hybrid electric and fuel cell electric vehicles. Across the UK, 114,000 plug-in electric vehicles and 76,000 battery electric vehicles were registered for the first time between January and March. Rises of 13% and 19% respectively on the previous year. REC Head of Policy, Simon Williams, described the increased demand as meteoric, but is concerned that upfront cost of the vehicle is putting people off. He said, for this reason, we'd like to see the government do more to attain new electric car sales, especially by reintroducing a form of the previous plug-in car grant aimed solely at cheaper electric models to tempt people away from petrol and diesel models. For those who regularly make longer trips or who will never be able to charge an electric car cheaply at home, a cut to the VAT rate at public charges from 20% to match the figure for, of 5% for levied on domestic users would also make going electric easier choice. The figures were released as London Ultra Low Emission Zone, ULES, expanded to cover all its boroughs. Anyone driving a non-compliant car, van or motorbike within the zone will have to pay £12.50 a day. Vehicle emissions-based schemes have generated more than 418 million in fees and penalty charges in England since March 2001. Local authorities in England are required to reinvest any earnings from clean air zones into the delivery of local transport policies. A Department for Transport spokesperson said the government and industry had supported the installation of over 45,000 public charging devices and said plug-in grants would continue for taxis, motorcycles, vans and trucks for at least another year. They added, we've already put more than two billion pounds into helping the transition to electric vehicles and are investing over 380 million to help deliver local charging for infrastructure so people around the country can switch. The government continues to support uptake of these vehicles through a range of tax measures, with industry figures finding plug-in vehicles accounted for nearly a quarter of new car sales in July. Police are warning people in decorum to be on the lookout for signs of cannabis factories operating in residential areas. In June, a national operation targeting cannabis cultivation within communities resulted in 27 people being arrested and more than 3,200 cannabis plants being seized. In 2023, more than 20 large-scale cannabis factories have been found and shut down in Hertfordshire. However, 
Many more properties are suspected to be hiding these farms in streets across the county. Police say cannabis factories can spell danger for a community, from posing potential fire hazards to increased crime, violence and antisocial behaviour. Operational Support Group Sergeant Stephen Tytherley said, The factories can pose a significant risk to those living close by, as the criminals often seek to access free electricity and set up unsafe wiring to power the lamps and fans needed to grow the plants. They will often knock down walls and block off ventilation to prevent the smell escaping, causing damp and structural damage, which can affect adjoining properties. There will often be an increase in crime and antisocial behaviour in the immediate vicinity as criminals move into the area. Spotting potential factories can be difficult for police as there's often little to indicate a property is being used in this way at first glance. However, if you live close to one, you may well start to notice unusual activities, strong smells and odd noises coming from an address. Signs of cannabis cultivation include a powerful, distinctive, sweet, sickly aroma, frequent visitors throughout the day and night, blacked-out windows or vents, sealed to prevent the heat and smell of cannabis from escaping, chinks of bright light throughout the night, birds gathering on the roof, particularly in cold weather, in winter snow melting unusually quickly on the roof, high levels of condensation on windows, noise from fans, large amounts of rubbish and compost bags, electricity meter being tampered with, and new cabling, sometimes leading to street lighting. To report suspicions of drug dealing or cultivation, residents can call police on 101 or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111 or through their online form. A demonstration was held showing how new technology is being used to fight crime in Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire's independent business advisory group, IBAG, ran a free online event to show firms how to use equipment to protect themselves. Police officials were also involved in the event and showcased modern technology being used to track criminals. Topics covered included the use of ANPR cameras, motion detectors and high-quality locks. At the meeting organised by the Office of the Police and Crime, uh, and Crime Commissioners for Hertfordshire, Chief Inspector Jason Keane discussed the tech used by the constabulary. Chief Inspector Keane talked about BI software, which monitors all types of crime. It is used to set up response plans designed to put officers in the areas of highest need. He revealed that the police use 400 automatic number plate recognition cameras in Hertfordshire. This number represents the fourth highest tally in the country. Data is used in a variety of ways, including finding vehicles on fake plates, doing impossible journeys, 
when they show up hundreds of miles apart within a short period of time, the police force says. Within the police force is a digital media investigations team which analyzes computers and mobile devices at the scene of a crime. IBAG was set up by the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire, David Lloyd, to enable businesses to report issues and crimes which impact them and to find ways to work together to improve safety and reduce crime. Hertfordshire County Council has announced the opening of the application period for secondary schools. From September the 1st, families can apply to place their children in the school in hearts which best suits them. If your child starts secondary, upper or university technical college next year, make sure you apply for a place in good time, the council advises. Parents and carers are advised to use the council's admissions page on its website. There's a long web address here, www.hertfordshire.com gov.uk forward slash services forward slash schools dash and dash education forward slash schools dash admissions forward slash schools dash admissions dash and dash transport dot a s p x to make their applications. Online applications can be amended at any time before the closing date, Tuesday, October the 31st, the council added. Information about application offers can be seen online before confirm confirmation letters have reached addresses. According to the local authority, last year over 99% of parents applied in this way. Councillor Caroline Clapper said, we want every child in the county to be able to achieve their full potential and Hertfordshire secondary schools provide an excellent education to thousands of pupils. We understand that parents and carers will want to obtain a place at their preferred school for their children and we work very hard with the admitting authorities of schools to satisfy parental preferences wherever possible. Last year, over 93% of children in Hertfordshire were allocated one of their four ranked schools. All secondary schools will have open events, whether these are virtual tours or school visits. I would urge parents to check the arrangements to view their local schools before applying, consider carefully which schools they rank and to make use of all their preferences. Hertfordshire County Council adds that school information or the information about the school places, is distributed to families through their child's primary, junior or middle school at the beginning of September. Parents are advised by the local authority to attend school open events and complete plenty of research before making their final decision. This can be done via Hertfordshire County Council's website. Paper applications can also be arranged by calling a customer service centre on 0300-123-4043. A man has been jailed for seven and a half years 
in connection with a serious assault in Hemel Hempstead, which left a man with multiple fractures and permanent partial sight loss. Leon Edmund, aged 33, was sentenced at Luton Crown Court on Friday, August the 25th, after previously pleading guilty to causing grievous bodily harm, GBH, causing actual bodily harm, ABH, and an assault by beating. The incident occurred in Warner's End on the evening of Saturday, March the 25th this year. Edmund and the victim, a man aged in his 40s, had been at a charity boxing event in Watford and returned on the same minibus. During the journey, a verbal altercation is reported to have occurred. When they arrived back in Hemel Hempstead, Edmund waited around for the victim and his family to get off the minibus. He then launched a sustained attack on the victim, which the sentencing judge described as savage. He twice punched him to the ground and continued to strike him several more times while he lay unconscious and unable to protect himself. He also assaulted the victim's son and the victim's partner during the incident. Only when a member of the public intervened did Edmund finally stop before leaving the area. The victim was taken to hospital, where it was ascertained that he'd suffered multiple and extensive fractures to his face, including both eye sockets, fractured cheekbones, a broken nose and a broken jaw, as well as permanent partial sight loss in one eye. Edmund was arrested at, the addre at his address in Ritcroft Street the following morning and subsequently charged. Detective Constable Leanne Holloday from the Decorum Local Crime Unit led the investigation. She said, this was a violent and sustained attack on a man who was simply enjoying a night out with his family and supporting a friend at a charity event. Several people attempted to take Edmund away from the area, but he repeatedly refused and launched his attack, leaving the victim unconscious and with permanent life-changing injuries. I am pleased that the sentence handed down reflects the seriousness of the offence. I hope it gives Edmund a chance to reflect on his terrible actions and time for the victims and their family to continue their recovery from this ordeal. A man in his 90s has died after a collision with a parked van in Hemel Hempstead. Police are appealing for witnesses, information and dash cam footage following the fatal road traffic collision which happened at around 11.07 on Saturday morning, the 26th of August. A blue Ford Fusion collided with a parked van on Warner's End Road, travelling towards Leighton Buzzard Road. Emergency services, including the ambulance service, attended the scene. The driver of the Ford and the sole occupant of the vehicle, a man aged in his 90s, was sadly pronounced dead at the scene. His next of kin have been informed, and they're being supported by our officers. Sergeant Mark Casey from the Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire Road Policing Unit said, Our thoughts are with the man's family at this very difficult time. We're continuing with our inquiries and would like to hear from anyone who was in the area at the time and may have witnessed the collision or the events leading up to it. If you have a dash cam fitted, please review your footage as you may have captured something 
which could assist us with our investigation. Anyone with information is asked to please email mark.casey at beds.police.uk. You can also report information online. Speak to an operator in our force communications room via our online web chat or call the non-emergency number 101, quoting ISR 235 of 26th August. Alternatively, you can stay 100% anonymous by contacting the independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 or via their untraceable online form at crimestoppers-uk.org. A woman living in Hemel Hempstead has achieved her childhood dream of appearing at London Fashion Week. Chantelle Rance is also representing her country at the Miss Europe pageant in Italy, which will be broadcast on global streaming platform Amazon Prime. She was inspired to pursue her dream after seeing other people's success stories on social media during the pandemic. Previously, the model, who also works as an actor, had been reluctant to join the industry, which at times has, has been accused of only promoting women with very specific features. Chantel said, I'm absolutely ecstatic to be doing London Fashion Week. I always had the ambition when I was younger to want to do it. And as you get older, you wonder, will I ever get the chance? During lockdown and whatnot, I thought, you know what, life's short, let's go for it, give it a go. So I applied for a few different things and kept myself in tip-top condition as much as I could. I know there's a lot more diversity, which is what really got me. I was so ecstatic to see more mixed-race models of different shapes and sizes. I'm quite a petite model as well, so the fact that I'm petite and mixed-race now there's going to be people like me who see me and go, you know what, if she can do it, so can I. Chantelle was also keen to flag that money raised from next month's model search event will go towards the top model foundation. The performer living in the Felden area of Hemel Hempstead has set up a Just Giving page at www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Chantella to 2023. The Top Model Foundation is a volunteer-led project which supports sick children. She commented on social media, how social media inspired her to rededicate herself to the fashion world, saying, I was acting and well, that whole world shut down and TikTok kicked in gear and the whole social media world really kicked off. I was seeing all these different people taking that opportunity and taking their chance. And I thought, you know what, I've got time on my hands now. I can put time and effort into research and practice. Rather than look at the negativity and down points, I thought, no, this is it. This is the time you've got. I went and had a look at all the different fashion worlds, got all the different magazines. I could just sit there 
flick through the magazines and note every bit of detail that I could and that would help take me forward. Whilst becoming a model was a lifelong goal, it is only in recent years that Chantelle decided to enter pageants. She added, two years ago, I was watching Miss Great Britain, and you know what? They're all beautiful women of different shapes and sizes, and they all look fabulous, and you can see the confidence in them. It has changed. It used to be a very different world, but there's a lot more diversity, a lot more inclusion, a lot more acceptance. Since the beginning of time, parents have always worried about their young, although there is a strong argument from some that this generation, mine, is the most neurotic of them all. I've lost count of the number of times that folk who keep shearings in business reminisce about their own childhood. A halcyon time when they would drink milk from the udder, play on bomb sites for 12 hours at weekends, and didn't watch television until they were 17. They decry the lack of children playing out on the streets of Britain today and scoff at the antics of helicopter parents, jumpy types who follow their darlings around with hand sanitizer and a first aid kit. While there's no doubt that times have changed, the idea that childhoods of today are any less magical than those of their grandparents or great-grandparents is for the birds. They do have a point, however, when they say that today's youth are obsessed with screens. As most 21st century parents will tell you, devices dominate the lives of their little darlings, and without adult intervention, they would happily be on them from the moment they had their Cocoa Pops until bedtime. I can confirm that the struggle is real, and the most serious sanction that can be imposed in our house is the temporary removal of iPad or mobile phone privileges. There are times when the screen is a convenient tool for time-poor parents. I'll be the first to admit that devices were a godsend at times during the dark old days of lockdowns. But it's unfair to write off an entire generation as screen ad addicts who don't know how to enjoy the outdoors. One of the highlights of a difficult summer came at the weekend when we hosted our youngest eighth's eighth birthday party. It was a reminder, if I needed it, how kids don't always need Super Mario, TikTok or videos of piano playing cats to have fun. It turns out that they are just as happy handling snakes, lizards and giant snails as they are sitting in front of a screen. The hour or so that the kind lizard lady spent on our lawn showing the children a selection of her exotic creatures was a resounding success and she kept them captivated with a series of facts that John Motson would have been proud of. Of course, the main attraction was getting to stroke and hold the array of animals, the most popular being a giant African snail, and that household favourite, the boa constrictor. The party was finished off with a good old-fashioned game of hide-and-seek and a go on the trampoline, and our beaming boy has since told us it was the best day of his life. Even accounting for the fact that the average eight-year-old is prone to hyperbole, there is no doubt that this was his special day. Growing up in Britain today is very different to how it was 70 years ago, but the wonders of childhood are just as magical now as they were then. And now some encouraging statistics from 
Cancer Research UK under the headline, Let's Get Behind the Charity and Beat Cancer Together. More than one million lives have been saved over the last four decades in the UK due to advances in cancer care. Progress in cancer prevention, diagnosis and treatment have all contributed to the falling cancer deaths. This includes improvements in radiotherapy, use of cancer screening programmes, drug development and gene discoveries. Cancer Research UK said that since the mid-1980s, UK cancer death rates have fallen by around a quarter. If these rates would have stayed the same, then 1.2 million more lives would have been lost to cancer. Death rates peaked in 1985 for men and 1989 for women. Now we come to the information slot. This is followed by the obituaries, what's on, and any more news. A mum of two will be taking on the huge challenge of completing the Abbott's, Abbott's Awards World Majors, a six-star awards inspired from her dad after he fell ill with COVID and struggles to walk. Nadine Brower, a model and mum of two from Tring, will be taking part in this year's BMW Berlin Marathon on Sunday, September the 24th. She is aiming to complete a six-star award with Abbott's Award World Majors. The Abbott's Awards World Ma Marathon Majors is six of the most renowned marathons in the world. They are London, Berlin, Chicago, Chicago New York City, Tokyo and Boston. Nadine was inspired by her father, Eddie Brower, who has recovered from COVID but struggles to walk for long periods. She's not a newcomer to the marathon, having run three London marathons over the last three years to raise money for charities. Last year, she raised over 3,000 for Barnardo's. She said, this year I'm running for a children's charity, Get Kids Going, a national charity that gives disabled children and young people the wonderful opportunity of participating in sports and sporting events. They provide them with specially built sports wheelchairs and give them sports grants to help with training, physio, travel and competition fees. I'm also supporting the National MS Society for People with Multiple Sclerosis. Dad is doing great, his mind is sharp, but his body has been affected and misses playing tennis, which he loved playing most days prior to him falling ill with COVID. Eddie Brower was in a coma for three months and spent a year in hospital. Nadine said, it's been three years since he fell ill and he's just able to walk again after intense physio. Running the marathon is nothing compared to what my dad has been through. Nadine trains locally at Champneys, and you may also see her running on the country roads around the area. If you would like to sponsor Nadine, you can do so at gofund.me forward slash 57F1A91E dot. This Week in History On the 7th of September, 1986, 
Bishop Desmond Tutu was appointed Archbishop of Cape Town, the first black head of South African Anglicans. On this day last year, scientists harnessed the power of a woman's hypersensitive smell, or sense of smell, to develop a test to determine whether people have Parkinson's disease. On September the 8th, 1966, the Severn Bridge was officially opened by the Queen. On September the 9th, 1963, Scotland's Jim Clark became the world's youngest motor racing champion. September the 10th, 1965, Yale University published a map purporting to show that the Vikings discovered America in the 11th century. September the 11th, 1978, Bulgarian defector Georgi Markov was stabbed by a poisoned umbrella point wielded by an unknown secret agent at a London bus stop. The unidentified poison brought on a coma and Markov died on September the 15th. And on September the 12th, 1878, Cleopatra's Needle, an ancient Egyptian obelisk, 68 foot of granite, was presented to Britain by the ruler of Egypt and Sudan and erected on the Thames embankment. Inside the pedestal were placed some important reminders of the British Empire, including Bradshaw's Railway Guide, Whitaker's Armagnac, and a dozen pin-ups of Victorian ladies. The obituaries on the family announcement page this week has Robert Raymond Mackintosh, Bob, aged 73 years. May he rest in peace. Now a look at what's on. Heritage Open Days, 8th to 17th of September. Celebrate England's largest festival of history and culture. You can visit all sorts of hidden places for free. Go to heritageopendays.org.uk. Roald Dahl Day, 13th of September. Discover the magic of Roald Dahl's books, including Matilda, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and the BFG. The DTN committee is again organizing a Christmas party for all our DTN volunteers. This is to show our appreciation for all the voluntary work that they do. It will be held at the Three Blackbirds, St. John's Road, Boxmoor, on Monday, 11th of December, it will start at 7 p.m. There is a car park at the end of Cowper Road, which is free after 6 p.m. A buffet will be available, as well as entertainment from our usual Christmas choir. Dance. Matthew Bourne's Romeo and Juliet, Milton Keynes Theatre, September the 5th, to the ninth. Shakespeare's timeless story of forbidden love receives a scintillating injection of raw passion and youthful vitality in Matthew Bourne's ballet version, a masterful retelling of an ageless tale of teenage discovery and the madness of first love. Romeo and Juliet garnered universal critical acclaim when it premiered in 2019, with the New York Times hailing it as astounding theater and the stage calling it bold, fresh, and bang on the money. 
visit atgtickets.com forward slash Milton Keynes to book or for more information. And in music, the central band of the Royal Air Force Auburn Arena, St Albans, September the 10th, 2pm. One of the world's most renowned military bands who played at the King's Coronation performs to raise money for the RAF Benevolent Fund. Call 01727 844 to book. And on the stage, Harry Redknapp returns at the Grove Theatre Dunstable on the 7th of September. The much-loved former footballer and manager of clubs, including West Ham and Spurs, returns to regale fans with stories from his sporting and TV career. Visit grovetheatre.co.uk to book or for more information. A comedy. Fiona Allen on the run. Old Town Hall, Hemel Hempstead, September the 15th. The double Emmy Award winner and star of Smack the Pony is touring her debut stand-up show. Like most working mums, since her children were born, she hadn't had a moment for herself. Now free, she's tried new hobbies, new places, even attempted to get fit, which she says is difficult when your spirit animal is a sloth. With nowhere left to turn, she decided to go on the road as a stand-up with a show about family, marriage and things that truly annoy her. In addition to numerous comedy and drama credits, Fiona often appears on shows like Mock the Week and Eight Out of Ten Cats. Visit oldtownhall.co.uk to book or for more information. And music? One Night in Dublin at the Eric Morecambe Centre Harpenden, September the 7th. Irish tribute band The Wild Murphys present a night of high-energy Irish music together with a little bit of crack. Visit the the-emc.co.uk to book. It's hard to believe, but here we are again as the Rugby Union World Cup is about to begin. From September the 8th to October the 28th, the world's best union players will grace the stadiums of France to offer up a feast of sporting excellence. Here we look at some of the favourites to lift the trophy, including current holders South Africa, and some of the best players who aim to help their nation become number one. It all kicks off on September the 8th, when hosts, France, take on another tournament favourite, New Zealand All Blacks, at the Stade de France at Saint-Denis, north of Paris. The 2019 Rugby World Cup generated approximately £4.3 billion in revenue, the highest total of any Rugby World Cup to date. The average number of tries per game increased from 5.6 to 6.3, that's up 12.5% between the 2015 and 2019 Rugby World Cups. New Zealand and South Africa have won the most Rugby World Cups of any other nation, with each country lifting the trophy three times. Johnny Wilkinson holds the Rugby World Cup records for the most penalties, 58, drop goals, 14, and overall points, 227, 
scored at a Rugby World Cup. The 2015 Rugby World Cup holds the record for the highest average stadium attendance, 51,621. The 2019 Rugby World Cup attracted an estimated 857 million viewers worldwide, the highest number to date. New Zealand have scored a total of 2,430 points in the Rugby World Cup to date, 40% more than the next highest team, which is Australia. The top nations hoping to lift the Webb Ellis Trophy in 2023 are, from number one to nine, New Zealand, France, South Africa, Ireland, England, Australia, Argentina, Scotland and Wales. At this tournament, top players to look out for include French captain Antoine Dupont, Dupont currently plays at scrum half for Toulouse in the top 14. English international Courtney Laws stormed onto the international scene and within two years of making his debut in 2009, he had clinched the Investic Man of the Series and represented England at the Rugby World Cup in 2011. Irish international fly half Johnny Sexton will captain Ireland at this year's World Cup. He became the 106th player to captain Ireland by leading the team to the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Welsh international Dan Bigger currently plays as a fly half for the French top 14 team Toulon. Bigger has also twice been selected to tour with the British and Irish Lions. Scottish international Finn Russell has previously played for the British and Irish Lions during their tours of New Zealand in 2017 and South Africa in 2021. Sia Khaleesi currently captains the South African team. Brad Quinton was delighted after seeing his Hemel Hempstead town side win in the dying moments at Chelmsford City on Monday night. Joe Iosifano scored two penalties, the second of them deep in second half stoppage time, to steal three points and add to the draw at home to Truro City on Saturday. And after two testing encounters in a short space of time, Quinton was proud of his players. He told the club's social media channels it was really deserved, given the shift the boys put in within 48 hours of the last game. We had seven or eight players injured, but who should be back for the weekend? But as a, who should be back at the weekend? But as a precaution, we had to manage it, and those boys who, who are out, who are out, are buzzing to be back in training, and were here supporting us tonight. All of the boys worked their socks off, and it's the stuff we've worked on in terms of the patterns, and everything is paying off. We looked really energetic considering it was two games in 48 hours and the changes we had to make and the boys were on it tonight. Hemel now prepared to go to Worthing on Saturday who before Tuesday night's games were third in the National League standings. Hemel Hempstead Town will visit Royston Town in the second qualifying round of the FA Cup on Saturday 
September the 16th, Berkhamsted progressed to the next round of the FA Cup on Saturday with a thrilling 5-4 win over Beckenham. Nathan Freighter put Berko ahead in the third minute before Kyle Williams made it two on the half-hour mark. Fred Nunnas reduced the arrears before half-time, but back Max Bustamante made it 3-1 after the break. Diego Fanlade again pulled one back for Beckenham, but Bustamante and Jer Jeremiah Luero had Berkhamsted 5-2 up before late goals from Cameron Brown and Mudiaga Wanaogo cut the deficit. Berko now go to Eastbourne United in the next round on September the 16th. Next, in the SPL Premier Central, for Steve Heath's men in the visit of struggling Long Eaton United on Saturday, a side who have lost all six of their league games so far, before they then go to Leamington on Tuesday night, who currently sit in mid-table. We are coming to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are 6.25am and 7.30pm. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemel.org.uk. If you wish to listen on Alexa, say, Alexa, open the talking newspaper skill. Alexa will ask you which broadcast you want to listen to. When prompted, reply, play the decorum talking newspaper. This part can be tricky. If Alexa offers the wrong station, just say no and then try again. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music, there is the amenities section that gives details of various groups and the contact details of organisations. Please remove your memory stick carefully from the player and return it to us in the pouch provided. Seal it up firmly, turn the label over and post it back to us using any Royal Mail post box. No stamp is required. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it's goodbye from all your readers, the editor and Jake, your technician for this week. <laughs>